to Kingdom Tuesday. Let's do this. Okay, awesome. So still thinking about our Two Kingdom Tuesday and... Uh, Maybe just to switch um, gears for a second, uh, in terms of the the, the, Kel- the Kelvin's doctrine of two kingdoms, not the contemporary Escondido expression, but but just um, the Reformed doctrine of two kingdoms. I mean, a lot of people don't realize that even just because there's a debate going on between the two Westminsters and it involves two kingdoms, it doesn't mean the one. You know, everyone uh, confirms some form of two kingdom doctrine. Is that correct? I think so, and yet you know, I suspect that. Uh, someone like Jordan um, would say, well, I mean, why was Calvin even talking that way? Right. Because Luther was talking that way. Okay. You know, so, okay. Um, so by virtue of our even using that term, we're actually just like either adopting or skewing Luther's, Luther's idea. Is that, is that his, his claim? I think so. And mm. I, I can, I can maybe be willing to give them that just because um, I happen to know that, uh, David Van Drunen was drinking deeply from uh, Klein's well mm-hmm. when he wrote um, everything that he's written on this topic, and yet um, it's it's hard to even find Meredith in the footnotes or the endnotes. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, part of Jordan's complaint was that um, Lutherans here, uh, non-Westminster Seminary California seminaries, say to their students, "Well." Uh, just read Horton or read Van Dunen, and that's the Lutheran position. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And the Lutherans are saying, no, no, <laughs> it's not really. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, okay. Um, okay, I want to come back to that and just figure out a little bit as to, you know, we've already distinguished the covenant sort of basis there, but I'll come back to that in a second. Just just uh, for for a moment or two, um, <clears throat> I believe in um, uh, Luther's own lifetime, uh, Melanchthon, uh, modified Luther's teaching on two kingdoms at some level, and apparently it it became a lot more in line with what the magisterial reformers were were teaching uh, about church and state relations. I don't know if you know anything about that, but it's just something that I picked up secondhand. I don't know how I, w- I wouldn't be willing to lay my life down for this, but something along those lines. And and my understanding there with um, with the reformed, with uh, at least the Kelvin and magisterial reformer guys is that um, they would see the temporal authorities there to serve the church directly. Um, do you think that's, that's, that's accurate? They, they saw a distinction, obviously, and, Luther, and I think Kelvin was concerned not to have the two, uh, you know, just interfere with the, 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 the church's sphere or, you know, the other way around. But I think they did see, like, a, um, the church, the, the state was there to kind of, you know, if, for example, the church discipline thing we mentioned earlier, uh, you know, they would carry that out as a capital punishment. And so even mm-hmm. though it, it, to us now it looks like there was one just big morphed, um, you know, church, state, government thing, it actually, it, there was in their minds a, a distinction of some sort. And that's per- perhaps uh, important just to mention at least, because it's just there in Kelvin at some level. Yes, and I think that's an important rebuke to theonomists. Um, yeah, good. That Calvin was even yeah. thinking that way. Yeah, true. Um, I mean, if Calvin had his way, the um, the elders of the church would mete out discipline for heresy. Um, right, right. And but, it, yeah. 
but the other side of that same coin is that he didn't have a problem with, for example, uh, the the punishment that did end up coming mm-hmm. to like Michael Servetus. Mm-hmm. He just thought that um, it it really wasn't the city council's job; it was the um, mm. the elder's job to deal with that. Mm. And I don't think he would have had the elders putting uh, a heretic to death necessarily. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, it gets complicated. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Okay. No. Well, and and I think it's probably just um, all I was trying to get really out of that is is you know to say that yeah, as you said, it's sort of a rebuke to the theonomist more than anything, in just that. Although certainly, I don't think the magisterial reform is held to like a Kleinian two kingdom kind of thing. No. Um, no. They did hold to some Lutheranish thing and Augustinian thing and they did appreciate even at that level of magisterial context, they did uh they did appreciate that there must be some sort of nuance and distinction made. So church and state separation hadn't hadn't yet become a, like a thing, but yet it had it was some they were working on some distinctions there. And um and I, I just think that's important to say because again when you get to the Kleinian stuff and okay, fair enough, like you know, even if you want to say, you know, most uh, Reformed Two Kingdom stuff is is grounded in Klein, not Luther or Augustine, uh, which may or may not be a fair point. At the end of the day, it is in some way connected to a kind of thinking that everyone has been doing at some level. So, you know, it just puts it into context. It means that when you get down to the, the specifics, um, it, yeah, sure, it's taken a few turns. It's been refined in this way, but it's not like a new concept entirely. Um, and you know it has a legacy in that regard. Yes, and and maybe everyone involved in this discussion would at least agree that um, the church and the civil magistrate have different jobs. Yes, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Because even Kuiper, you know, would um, argue that right, the sphere thing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so you know, he was he was big on his whole sphere authority thing so yeah i mean at the end of the day even just um hearing klein talk about the distinguished uh you know you got cult and culture uh, being distinguished of course in in a common grace period um but it, how it would still in a theocracy be distinguished although you know functionally kind of one thing uh, but he would still if i'm not mistaken talk about you know, it's always it's always there at some level being distinguished. It's really what we're talking about. The debate more lies on what that distinguishing looks like, uh, rather than that it is distinguished. Um, which again, I, you know, it's just kind of a helpful um, frame of reference, I suppose, because I hear a lot of people talking and they they make it sound like, you know, no one in the reform community even uh, allows for that distinction at any level. Um, but the Kleinians or, you know, whatever. Um, oh, gotcha. So, you know what I mean? There it is. That's the sort of baseline from where we uh, build. But now, you know, going into um, the the actual Reform Two Kingdom, David Van Drew and uh, Meredith Klein thing, um, we've said that there is, um, the, the, the doctrine itself is coming from uh, this idea of a, um, essentially the fall creates a, a problem in that, in that now you're out of the land and you um, you uh, you know either everyone's just got to die and that's the end of it or God's got to create a sort of platform upon which the story of redemption can play itself out. So that's common grace. It declares a realm that's legitimate that involves both uh, um, those who are you know people like Cain and uh, people like Seth all live in this one 
world and uh, it's it's they both have a, a place of legitimacy in it and then you've got this covenant of grace that's you know being promised from the very uh, first moment there in Genesis 3:15 and um, and it's creating this covenant is creating a people um, that are part of a kingdom that is not of this world uh, ultimately or at least it's an it's, it will ultimately move beyond this temporal kingdom that God has set up within uh, the realm of common grace so that's right. that's the baseline understanding right uh, am I missing anything there in terms of a um, kind of where we start off with on a Kleinian viewpoint no I think that I, I think that's very helpful okay now um, so now you know just bringing it all the way to our day we're at church and uh, are we saying that um you know, our entry, because I mean, the big, the big accusation here is, is okay, but you're dividing life into the sacred and secular. Um, I've often heard this said, that Lutherans don't do that, in that with their two kingdom understanding, you're always, you're always, um, you know, before God, quorum Deo, as, um, as Jordan Cooper put it. And uh, what is the other Latin expression? Quorum Mundi, I think. Quorum Homnibus. Yeah, something like that. It could be, yeah. Uh, quorum something. Quorum something to do with someone else. Yeah, before our fellow human beings. Yes, exactly. So you got, again, the vertical and horizontal thing. Mm-hmm. So that's always happening. So you never, although it's two kingdoms, you're never really distinguishing, you know, life itself is not being divided up into the sacred and secular. Um, in terms of your, uh, what's a good way to put it? Like you're never doing anything that you're not in both kingdoms in all the time. So that's their big thing. And, um, and so you can see life as a cohesive whole. It might not be this desire to transform it all in a post-millennial sense, but it's still one piece. And I, I think one of the kickbacks to um, ref- reform to kingdom theology is that we're, we're seeing that there is something about a, uh, you know, a, the, the structure of the church, the organization of the church, at least the, the things that are happening there that are specifically sacred and apart from the world, even beyond the individual level. So like we would agree, I think we ended up saying last time, which I, it really got me thinking. So like as, a, as, a, um, as an individual Christian, I'm, I am still, I'm in the sacred sphere all the time, right? Because I am, mm-hmm. I am you know, in the covenant of grace. And, and so it's also true, as it is for a Lutheran, that, um, and I don't think Jordan Cooper was saying that, which was kind of an interesting one for me. I was just, I don't know if he got that right or, um, or what was going on there. But anyways, be worth just clarifying uh, that. Um, but yeah, we go out into the world and, you know, even when we're in the secular sphere, the common grace sphere, we're still, you know, there is this overlap, so to speak, of, uh, of the two kingdoms in us as people who have, you know, been regenerate. Is that right? Right. Okay. Yeah. So we have a foot in each world. Foot yeah. in each world, two-edged sojourner, exactly what we're talking about there. Great. Mm-hmm. Now, now the other thing is, um, it seems we go beyond that, though, in that we actually, and this is where I feel like the Lutheran hesitancy comes in. They don't want to so much speak of uh, the church as, uh, and this is kind of what you were saying in the beginning, that as the um, necessarily in the realm of the sacred. And, um, and then, you know, and what I'm thinking here is specifically going to a place of worship, a gathering, word and sacrament, rightly administered. All of that is part of a sec, uh, at least a sacred sphere of activity. 
Um, where would the Lutherans dis- disagree with us on that? Because they get the preaching of the gospel, right? They, they've got the, I mean, they, I mean, but they don't want to see the preacher. Or what, what is the, where is the cutoff point for them? I really think it goes back to their distinction between the law and the gospel. So I would, I would, yeah. I'm not as confident about what I'm about to say, but I would think that even church discipline for them, interesting, would fall under the left hand kingdom because it's law. Um, right. Totally. And we're not seeing exactly the same thing, right? We've actually, we're saying it's a common grace, redemptive grace difference, which is totally different, actually. Yeah. Yeah. There is a real difference there. Um, I can't say that I'm I'm not sympathetic to um, yeah. applying that law gospel distinction, but it is a very different program than the uh, culture and cult and culture distinction. Yeah, totally. And so maybe that's where the communication breakdown happens at its at its um, at its main point. Because, I mean, if you're saying, like, I mean, you could see why um, you would be hesitant in thinking of the church. The church itself preaches law and gospel, right? They they do believe that, and and right. they so they would see sure. anything that the church itself does, and even like by way of preaching. Um, if that sermon is about law and something that you should do, it's not necessarily uh, talking about the right hand kingdom. Is that right? Uh, that's a great question, and I I don't want to mischaracterize them out of my ignorance. I mean, the question that I want to ask Lutherans and even non-Kleinian mm. Reformed folks on this issue is, shouldn't the theology that we confess, you know, if we're going to say this is yeah. what Christians ought to believe, shouldn't we be able to apply that to Christians before Constantine right. as well? And I start getting really nervous when we're doing this... Um, the relationship between uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Christ and culture, basically, um, because the traditions um, that come out of the Protestant Reformation, I think, confessed and professed something that our brothers and sisters in Christ prior to Constantine simply would not have had categories for. Tertullian could not have conceived of any civil magistrate who would have been you know, enforcing um, natural law, or I mean, yeah. maybe in some sense natural law, but I mean, yes, yes, totally. not blasphemy, um, for sure. Not not the fourth commandment, not even the first commandment. Um, and um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great point, I think. Um, I mean, you just you just forget like the people that they're t- that Paul is talking about when he's talking about the magistrate. I mean, they they are Romans um, killing Christians, you know, or that will, and it's just quite a astounding concept on its own right. I mean, they're not helping the church in any <laughs> in any way. Yeah. yeah. So what you said just jogged my memory, and the words that Paul mm-hmm. uses in Romans thirteen for what mm-hmm. the civil magistrate should be doing are way too mm-hmm. generic and way too bland to cram um, the, any Protestant reformer's understanding of the civil magistrate into that. Because what Paul says is yeah. that they should be um, basically reinforcing the good and punishing the bad. And he uses Greek words that are, I'm sorry, simply too generic. Um, he's, he's talking about the civil magistrate making sure that people aren't running around murdering and stealing 
and in terms of punishing the bad <laughs> yeah. and just making sure that things are running smoothly and normally in terms of encouraging the good. That's what Paul yes, means. Totally. No, I agree 100%. And uh, on that note, in my efforts to want to keep this to a manageable length, let's, uh, let's call it year and uh, we'll try and cut this short now and then continue with our two kingdom extravaganza onto whatever Wednesday. Uh, so if you're interested in this, stay with us and we'll um, see you tomorrow. Mm-hmm.